0: You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie and I appreciate the time that you're taking to listen to this podcast and I want to give you a little heads up what we're going to talk about today. So the the conversation that I want to have today is about some of the pathologies that exist and how that affects our clients. I think we we got a lot of clients that come in and they say, oh, I, you know, we'll go through the park queue and do you have any contraindications Have you ever been diagnosed with or been uh, ever had or ever been diagnosed with uh, heart disease, uh, pneumonia, diabetes, stroke, cancer. We'll get on this list of things and people may check some of those things off. And then we go, oh, okay. All right. Um, now what? Uh, I don't even know what those things are. I know that they're bad. I know that I heard my grandparents talk about uh, they talk about something when they were and my parent my parents are now talking more and more about these things. So what what are these things? What are these things that everybody keeps talking about? That more and more clients are talking about simply because uh, as as we continue to work with different types and more people, then. Uh, we're going to run into this over and over again. So the first one I want to talk about is, let's talk about diabetes. Now, diabetes is a um, disease. And there uh, there are two kinds. There's type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. And the uh, type 1 diabetes is a disease where the pancreas doesn't provide insulin. So blood sugar levels are not controlled and they're not absorbed and it leads leads to what's called hyperglycemia or too much sugar. And it's commonly found in younger kids prior to the age of 15. Formerly, it was called uh, juvenile onset diabetes. And, um, and I, I will say this, it's an autoimmune disease. So the beta cells in your pancreas start to get attacked by your own body's defense systems. And... Um, and in autoimmune diseases don't have an age limit so uh, if somebody says you know they're they're 40 years old and they say oh, I just got ti- I got diabe- diagnosed with type 1 diabetes don't be like what that's crazy that's unheard of like no that's heard of it's heard of it's a thing uh the reason why people respond that way is because most people, as they age, get type 2 diabetes. And uh, type 2 diabetes is a disease of carbohydrate metabolism, and it's associated with obesity, but and that's it's abdominal, particularly, and it's characterized by insulin resistance rather than a lack of production of insulin. It is not considered an autoimmune disease, and it was formerly called Adult onset and non-insulin dependent diabetes, and it was first prescribed. Course of action is bettering your diet and increasing the exercise that you do. So that's its first course of action is changing your diet and uh, minimizing the amount of carbohydrates that you have. And for all of you out there who are. Um, a, a calorie is a calorie is a calorie, so you just eat a bunch of carbohydrates. I'm going to tell you to be very careful because that type of um, mindset will get you in trouble in terms of um, a, a your health and and your ability to um, address these type 2 diabetes situations. When you think about type 2 diabetes, uh, I think I've covered this before. So it's a barking dog. So a barking dog... Um, is your your body's insulin reaction and i've got a little dog at home his name's rocky and i come to the door he just yaps 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 it comes in the door and i come I'm in and he's really excited to see me and he barks and he barks and he wags his tail and then i walk out the door and i come back in and i see him and he wags and he wags and he jumps and he jumps and he wags and i walk out the door and i come back in and then if i keep doing that uh it doesn't take long before rocky's like this is really not that interesting anymore and um, that's what insulin is like as you as you put carbohydrates into your system. Uh, insulin's really happy, and it's happy to see you, and it's happy to take all that sugar and shunt it into your muscles and then save that um, as muscle glycogen and get it out of your bloodstream. Uh, but you keep presenting the sugars, then your insulin is going to get tired of helping you. And that's, that's kind of what... Um, I, I think is a good example of, of how you can look at type 2 diabetes. Uh, 90% of diabetes cases are type 2. Now, that's a lot, and most of those are in fact due to uh, lifestyle issues that, that need to be modified, like the amount of carbohydrates in the diet, and I'm not just saying sugars in the diet. I'm talking about carbohydrates just in general, but yes, sugars will get you there a lot faster just because the immediate demand for insulin to work. Six percent of the U.S. population has diabetes. Over a million new cases are reported every year, and this number is expected to double in the next 15 to 20 years. So not a great outlook on that. And It's the seventh leading cause of death each year in the United States. There are complications that go along with it. Um, kidney disease, um, retinopathy, so eye issues. And uh, I was diagnosed two years ago with type 2 diabetes, and, um, and I'm... I'm not necessarily the picture of what you would think of with type two diabetes, relatively healthy, uh, regular exerciser, and um certainly a a pretty good diet compared to the majority of the population. So it is um It was a a moment for me when I realized that for a long time and I'm teaching exercise science courses and I'm saying, you know, eat right and exercise and you're not going to get type 2 diabetes. Eat right and exercise you're not going to get type 2 diabetes. Uh, And then I got type 2 diabetes. So there is um, clearly there's going to be a genetic component in there. And for me, I have to go in. I get my eyes checked regularly because that's a way to see the amount of damage that the sugars that have been stuck in the bloodstream uh, it's how they're seen. And so diabetes is always checked by immediately with blood sugar, but ultimately by A1Cs. And if you've heard of A1Cs, you don't really necessarily know what that means, but it is, it is basically the crystallization of blood uh, or, or of sugar onto your blood. And um, if, if there's a lot, it's basically a three-month period. Over a three-month period of time, um, your A1Cs are going to change. So I remember I went in and I, after my diagnosis and, uh, I was like, no, it was just Halloween. And I was taxing my kids Halloween candy. So like, that's probably just it. And they were like, no, I I promise you it has nothing to do with just Halloween and just eating that candy. But over the last three months it has been elevated. So usually they look at anything over the number seven for your A1Cs will be a, uh, diagnosis of diabetes, type 2, and a number of 6 is going to be what's called a, um, a, a pre-diagnosis, so pre-diabetes. And at 5, it's still something to be very, very aware of. If you've ever heard things, uh, neuropathy, so the difficulty of feeling things, uh, accelerated arthrosclerosis or kind of um, uh, this kind of scarring that takes place. But the neuropathy is the scary one because um, it it allows you, you can't really feel things. You can't feel your loose sense of your feeling and um, in the extremities in particular. And so a lot of times um, you got to look for cuts on the feet because those cuts, which people with neuropathy from diabetes may not be able to feel that there are cuts which means they don't do any wound care on those places and those can get infected and uh, one of my best friends on the planet uh, his dad had um had his leg amputated uh, because of diabetes and then several years later had um, uh, another one so anyway the the amputations are, are a big deal it's a very scary um consideration to, to look at and that's why um, sometimes there are associations of limb loss with diabetes and it's because of the neuropathy and the inability to, to take care of wounds because they don't feel it. They don't know that there's a wound. So what about programming protocols for people with diabetes? And I'm going to say it's going to be like low impact activities uh, generally associated with the, the obese and sedentary uh, clientele. So for people like me, high impact, let's go a high intensity interval training. But for most people, you're looking at things like cycling and walking, and you're going to add elliptical, you put rower in there, but just low impact activities, four to seven days a week. So we're not playing around like this is your medicine, your exercise is your medicine. And you got to take it, just take your medicine. Um, so Let's get the uh, the intensity up somewhere between 50 and then up to 90% of your max heart rate. Start in stage one, but certainly you can advance people to stages two and three for their cardio. And um, let's get your, get your numbers up 20 to 60 minutes in duration of your exercise. And I would suggest trying to get between 150 to 200 minutes a weekend. So uh, you just divvy that up however you can divvy it up, but get... Get 150 to 200 minutes a weekend. Same thing with all your assessments. Push, pull, overhead squat assessment, single leg squat assessment, um, single leg balance. Just just checking in on all the kind of other assessments that we put into place with them. And then flexibility. Uh, you can do the whole flexibility continuum, fo- foam rolling, static stretching, active stretching. Be careful with the foam rolling for people with neuropathy. So you'd be super careful with that. So if somebody doesn't feel the damage that's being done, then you gotta be really, really careful with them. Um, resistance training, one to three sets, 10 to 15 reps, two to three days out of the week, phases one and two of the OPT model. You can progress up, but that might be somewhere you want to kind of keep most of your attention in. And so you got to make sure that your client has an appropriate footwear and, uh, have a client or physician check their feet for blisters or abnormal wearing patterns in their shoes, because those are really important things that we're going to look at for people with diabetes, um advise a client or a class participant if they're doing classes to keep a high glycemic snack available, especially for people with a type one diabetes type two diabetes. That may be a much, much uh, less concern uh, going hypoglycemic. And then, um, you know, use, use that foam rolling only with a physician's clearance and avoid excessive reactive training like plyometric training and, Hit training for these clients. It doesn't mean you can't do it, just avoid them uh, being excessive with it. All right, let's move on to hypertension. It's uh, commonly known as high blood pressure. Hypertension is defined by the pressure reading that's greater than 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury. So pre-hypertension, 135 over 85 normal is 120 over 80, even though normal is starting to be questioned as um, concernably high in that pre-hypertension phase. So that's something that's still being debated. So right now, let's just look at 120 over 80 as being, you know, normal and okay. And pre-hypertension, 135 over 85. Risk factors for hypertension, smoking, a high fat diet, and um, excessive weight. Hypertension itself is a risk factor. And it's got comorbidities for stroke, cardiovascular disease, chronic heart failure, kidney failure, and diabetes. So hypertension is a risk factor for all of these other things. And 50 million people are diagnosed each year with hypertension. And there's ample evidence that exercise can have a significant impact on lowering elevated blood pressure. Low to moderate cardiorespiratory exercise has been shown to be just as effective as high-intensity activities in reducing blood pressure. Encourage compliance, because that's really the issue for most people anyway, isn't it? Compliance with exercise. So encourage compliance with an overall plan to reduce blood pressure and include exercise, diet, and weight loss if needed. And this prescribed exercise regime to help with this so um and and by the way prescription i'm not talking about prescribing medicine i'm saying like just looking at what is the prescribed um exercise that's generally associated with hypertension so uh encourage compliance with their medication as well Uh, as um um, the, the problem with hypertension is that people oftentimes won't take their medicine because they don't feel sick and it's easy to remember to take medicine when you feel sick but hypertension doesn't have that response so you have to be vigilant with uh, with your medicine monitor your heart rate and body position prone and supine positions and resistance training should be in seated or standing positions so is there anything wrong with lying down no um you just want to be a little bit more careful with some of those other positions so consider seated and standing positions more indicated when it comes to people with hypertension careful also with a bunch of the like uh, burpees or things that that are changing your position from a high upright position to a prone facing down position so using things like stationary cycling you know treadmill rowers uh, very good three to seven days a week starting at stage one cardio and, um, and you can progress up, but, you, but stage one is actually probably a really good one just to stay in. And then you can start peppering in some of the higher intensity stuff, but stage one should likely be a main focus. 30 to 60 minutes, um, is your duration. But again, I'm going to put the same thing on there. People with hypertension, 150 to 120 minutes of uh, exercise, some type of um, cardiorespiratory exercise. And that can be with resistance training. I'm all about resistance training, creating a cardiorespiratory effect. So, um, so consider those things. Uh, flexibility, static and active stretching, good to add in there. Uh, Resistance training, 1 to 3 sets, 10 to 20 reps, 2 to 3 days a week. Phases 1 and 2 of the OPT model are going to be good. Uh, Tempos should not exceed 1 second for isometric or concentrics, and that's because the isometric holds really increase the... Blood pressure. So it increases um, the, the pressure within that artery, and you want to minimize that. Special considerations avoid lifting and heavy lifting and the Valsalva maneuver, which means when you're exercising, breathe normally. Do not let the client over grip or clench clinch, uh, the weights. Modify the tempo to avoid uh, extended isometric and concentric muscle actions, and allow the client to stand up slowly to avoid dizziness. And remember, speaking of slowly, progress your clients slowly. There is no reason to try to jump into the biggest, baddest workouts when you're working with special population. All right, next one. Coronary artery disease, CAD, or ischemic heart disease. Same thing. CAD is almost completely due to the arthroscoritic buildup of plaque in the coronary arteries and the scarring that the plaque causes within the coronary arteries, which shunts blood flow and leads to reduced cardiac performance, fatigue, injury, and or death. Types of CAD, angina pectoris, which I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of angina pectoris because it saved my dad's life uh, about 15 uh, plus years ago. Um, who it's It's pain, just chest pain chest pain and he went to the doctor instead of going with my mom to pick up my younger brother at the memphis airport to bring him back home to florence alabama and when he did um when he said i'm going to go to the doctor instead because it's very strange the next day he had a triple bypass uh, surgery so um big fan of angina pectoris saving my dad's life thank you uh different types of coronary artery disease there's heart attack a heart attack. It's also known as. You may have heard this. It's a weird, funny-sounding name, but myocardial infarction, myocardial infarction. I said that correctly, or an MI, and it's also known as a coronary thrombosis, and um, and 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 that's the blockages that can take place in the heart. And then there's heart failure, and uh, if you've ever heard of congestive heart failure that or congestive heart disease, it's going to be what's taking place, and and. And that's really when there is a congestion of blood in the heart. So when the heart pumps, it doesn't pump everything out of the atrium or the ventricle. Uh, it doesn't move it through the way it's supposed to. And so there's a buildup. And it just it's basically like a traffic jam of blood within the heart. And it gets congested. And then that backflow can be very, very damaging. So coronary artery disease accounts for approximately 40% of all deaths annually. 18 million individuals in the U.S. have been diagnosed with CAD, and that doesn't cover the people who haven't been diagnosed. Uh, CAD and stroke have the same risk factors. As a matter of fact, I, I'm, I will say that CAD and stroke are the same thing, just in different locations. So if, if CAD is a heart attack, then a stroke is a brain attack. So the risk factors are the same just a different location of attack. Sadly, less than 30% of heart patients and a far lower percentage of women are referred to and participate in cardiac rehabilitation programs. So for the NASM certified personal trainers, you must have a clear understanding of the client's disease, their medications and how it's being used, and most importantly, the upper safe limit of exercise. As a conversation that needs to be had with the doctor, the physician. So it'd be great if your client can connect you with their physician uh, so that that a conversation can be had. Uh, important, get a heart rate monitor, right? That's going to be very important. Get a heart rate monitor. Uh, let's talk about the benefits of exercise, though. So we're very concerned about things, but what are some of the benefits of exercise? And they include... Uh, It lowers the risk of dying. That's a huge one. That's that's why it's number one on my list. Uh, Increased exercise tolerance. So for people who are like, I just I haven't exercised in fifty years. Here's the thing, you get better at it. So don't overwhelm yourself. Don't overwhelm your clients with exercise, and then they're going to get more tolerant of the exercise. They increase muscle strength. Uh, the reduce in angina and heart failure symptoms, improved uh, psychological status, physiological status, and there's a social adjustment that takes place as well. So then there's a sense of pride and empowerment that goes along with it. So it's very exciting to, to think about those things. Um, and we're looking at a very similar thing uh, with your exercise. Working large muscles with activities, using cycling, walking, treadmill, rowers, three days a week, at least... Uh, cardio intensity. Look at stage one of the cardio training. Talk test is a good form of being able to, to kind of address where they are. Uh, warm-ups. Let's get a five to 10 minute warm-up followed by 20 to 40 minutes of exercise and another five to 10 minute cool down. And then flexibility. Static or active is good. Seated standing positions are great. Resistance training. One to three sets. Ten to 20 repetitions. Two to three days a week. Phases one and two of the OPT model. Again, looking at tempos not exceeding one second for the isometric or concentric phases, right? Use circuit training, uh, peripheral heart action options, which are, are great, which is an upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body, and then special considerations. Be aware that clients may have other diseases to consider. Modify tempo to avoid extended isometric and concentric actions. Avoid Valsalva maneuver. Perform exercises seated or standing and then progress slowly. Progress slowly. All right. Um, I would love to add. Look, I, all right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So uh, I know we're over time right now. But let me just highlight some of the things. Let me talk about cancer for a moment. So cancer or a malignant tumor or a neoplasm uh, is a poorly differentiated mass of cells that can spread to other tissues and sites in the body. So poorly differentiated means that cell hasn't made up its mind as to whether or not... You, you've heard of stem cells, and stem cells can, can turn into whatever is needed, um, and the, which means they are differentiated. This is a lung, and this is a heart, and, and it turns into that. So um, a, a cancer doesn't differentiate well, so it's not a lung, and it's not a heart, and it's not an epithelial, and so there, there are problems with differentiation. The suffix OMA... Um, It means a tumor, but it does not indicate whether or not it's malignant or benign. So if you have um, concerns, then, then that's a conversation to have with a doctor. But there are two terms that always indicate malignancy, and that is a sarcoma. And that's a cancer of connective tissue, and there's a carcinoma, which is a cancer of the epithelial tissue. And those two, uh, at least to my knowledge, are always going to indicate malignancy. So here's some interesting things about cancers: the second leading cause of death in the United States, with more than uh, uh, one half million deaths annually. It's been estimated that American men have about a forty-four percent probability, and women a thirty-eight percent probability of developing cancer in their lifetime. A variety of studies have shown the positive benefits of exercise in the treatment of cancer, including improved aerobic and muscular fitness, retention of lean body mass, less fatigued, improved quality of life, and a positive mood and self-concept. The NASM, Certified Personal Trainer, you got to have the knowledge and appreciation for the varied and adverse effects of medical treatments that could take place with those that have cancer. And those treatments could be radiation, they could be chemotherapy, any number of treatments. And to be able to understand that and understand what your clients are going through um, with as much empathy as you can. It's not something that you can truly understand unless you've been through it, but trying to empathize with it as much as possible and understand the effect that that's going to have exercise is important during the recovery uh, and it provides reduced cellular risk and improved exercise tolerance and it increases activities of daily living so uh, I just wanted to run through that information with cancers real quick just so we have a you have a better idea of what that is and some of the names that are associated with it. So I I hope, uh, I apologize for for taking a little bit longer than I expected. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Rick Ritchie. Reach out to me on Instagrams where I'm most active at doctorr Follow the National Academy of Sports Medicine on all of our social channels and reach out to us if you have any questions and if you would like to hear any particular topic. Thank you for your time and we'll chat soon. As a thank you for listening to the NASM CPT podcast, I've got a special offer for you. 20% off of any NASM order. You can use that 20% to get certified as a personal trainer through our CPT program, the standard for the fitness industry, or expand your career with one of our specializations, including our latest one, NASM Nutrition Certification, which gives you the skills to be a certified nutrition coach. Get 20% off your order by calling 800-460-6276 or visiting nasm.org and using the code PODCAST20. That's 800-460-6276, and the discount code is PODCAST20. Start changing even more lives today.